week, we discussed the question, why do we love God? As we explore the context of the Shema. For the Israelites and for us, the better question is why does God love us? We cannot overemphasize the miracle that loving God starts with being beloved. He made a way for us when there was no way. He chose us and gave us his grace and true freedom, not because of anything we did, but all because of what he did and who he is. Romans 5, 8 says, but God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can receive his love and respond to this love by living out the greatest commandment. You can read or recite it with me. Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In today's session, we are going to continue to answer the question, why do we love God? In addition to because he loved us and made a way for us, the second why is because he is worthy. He is worthy of our love, not only because of what he has done for us, but because of who he is. We'll do this by looking at a particular form of annotation today called the attributes of God. Annotation is simply taking notes. We actively observe what is there in the text and organize it so we can recognize with more clarity what is already there. You can do this by noting attributes of God, lists, repeated words, definitions, questions, anything confusing, transitions, etc. Annotation and really so many of these tools we are looking at in this study is a way we actively listen to God, which is a huge element of the Shema. Listen. My background is in mental health counseling, and when I was a counselor, we always took notes, either on a legal pad or on a computer. We bulleted or summarized what we heard, and then we checked in with the client. Is this what you are saying? This is what I hear you are saying. And this is not only a huge skill when counseling, but also when being counseled as well especially being counseled by the great counselor, God. We want to take note of what God is saying and prayerfully ask him, is this what you're saying, God? If it is, we should hear it echoed across scripture, and the Holy Spirit will give confirmation with other Christ followers as well. We are just going to talk about attributes of God in chapter six here, but we'll be addressing some of these other forms of annotation as we flesh out this section more in other sessions. Let's just review what God has done for the Israelites so far. We're going to do it on speed mode, whereas we did it slow-mo last session. God created them, Genesis 2. He chose them as his people, Genesis 12. He led them to Egypt during a famine to provide for them, Genesis 47. He led them out of Egypt when Pharaoh enslaved them, Exodus 12. He parted the Red Sea when they were stuck between an Egyptian army and the water, Exodus 14. He provided for them manna and water in the wilderness, Exodus 16 through 17. 
he had mercy upon them when they created an idol while Moses was obtaining the Ten Commandments, Exodus 32. He fought for them to bring them two military victories over King Og and King Sihon in Deuteronomy 2 and 3. And he gave them the Ten Commandments again as a part of the special covenant relationship they have with him, Deuteronomy 5. So we have proved he is worthy. He has proved he is worthy, rather. Now today we are going to really slow down in Deuteronomy 6 together and meditate on the character of God we see displayed in just this chapter. In Deuteronomy 6, I've counted eight attributes of God. You might have more. The first one I see is that he is merciful. I think we have to start here because the fact that Moses is even giving this sermon is a mercy. The Israelites haven't been faithful, remember, and God could have many times just been done with them. But he chooses to keep a remnant and preserve them to enter the promised land. See this mercy in the Israelites' very existence, but also in sending them a mediator and prophet and leader like Moses to give them God's word. Two, I see that God is their authority. He is the authority of the Israelites and he is the authority over us. He has the authority to give the statutes, commands, and ordinances he's giving the Israelites. And he has the authority to define how we are to live as well. You might ask, why does he have the authority over us? Because he is our maker. He is our creator. Paul touches on this in Romans 9.20 when he asks, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? God is the creator, the molder, and therefore our authority to say how his creation is designed to live. Three, I see that God is a promise keeper in Deuteronomy 6. You might also call this faithful. He is fulfilling his command to give them the land promised to Abraham. In Deuteronomy 6.10, we read, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would give you. He is bringing fulfillment to the promises he gave in Genesis to their forefathers, starting in Genesis 12.7, when he says to Abram, To your offspring, I will give this land. That's a look behind at the promise that God is just about to fulfill in Deuteronomy as it's being written. But if you look ahead, he keeps his promise yet again to these people. Even though they sin, he gives them the land back again. After he exiles them, by his mercy, he brings them back in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, again, showing throughout the whole Bible that he is a promise keeper. He is faithful. The fourth one I see is the one and only God, set high above any other. He is unique. There is nothing and no one else like him. I see this in the Shema itself. In verse 4, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And in Deuteronomy 6, 13 through 14, fear the Lord your God, worship him and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you. Even though this is not word study week, we are going to do a little bit here with the word Lord because it is so on point that we love God because he is worthy. The word in the Shema for Lord you might recognize is capitalized. This indicates it's using a sacred and divine name for God, differentiating it from any other human lords or masters. The Hebrew people would not even utter the real word out loud out of reverence for God, so they would often use the word Adonai. Many times we say Yahweh or Yehovah. There were no vowels in the word, and so they would not pronounce it. Yahweh means existing one, self-existent and eternal one, because he is the creator. He can also not be destroyed. Yahweh also means the personal name of the God of Israel. It indicates belonging. They belong to God. It's personal between them and God. This name indicates that relationship they have as God's chosen people. This attribute found in the Shema echoes the first and second commandment in the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, 7, and 8. Do not have other gods besides me, and do not make an idol for yourself. Some say do not make a graven image. Now, this was a huge claim for the Israelites because the Egyptians, where they came from, had many gods, and the lands that they would enter in Canaan also had many gods. So for them to claim this is God alone would set them apart and also set them at odds to all the lands around them. It really wouldn't be beneficial for them to give God their sole allegiance unless, of course, he was the one true only God. Then they would be fools not to. Notice who is also not God themselves. Egyptians, gods aren't their gods. Canaanite gods aren't their gods. The Israelites are not their own God. They are not to live for themselves. And we'll talk more about these types of idolatry in session seven, but for now, we must just understand the enormity of this statement. God's saying, I'm it. There isn't room here for any other allegiance, not in the territory of Canaan and not in the territory of their heart. The next one, God is a generous provider. He's providing for all their needs and more. If we look at Deuteronomy 6, verse 10 and 11, God says he will give them land filled with large and beautiful cities, houses full of every good thing, cisterns, vineyards, olive groves, enough food to satisfy and fill them. We know this provision didn't start here, but God has been providing for this specific people even when it seemed in the wilderness there was no provision to be had. He gave them their daily bread. He gave them manna and water. This is a miraculous provision. Yet, this provision didn't stop with their physical needs. God also gave them provision for their spiritual needs. He gave them a place to worship and meet with him in the tabernacle. 
and he gives them his word through Moses. And Jesus actually quotes this verse from Deuteronomy and takes strength from it when he is being tested in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8.3, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is consistent with Moses's message for them to choose life by choosing to live out the commands of the Lord. The next one is righteous. And I'm going to put righteous before the next two because I think we often think of these attributes as bad because we've only seen them on other sinners and acted sinfully out of these emotions. But God is, remember, utterly different than humans. So when I say he's righteously jealous and when I say he's righteously angry, those are attributes that he is exhibiting without sin. So he is righteously jealous because he wants their soul devotion. In chapter 6, verse 15, it says, For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. He is in a covenant relationship, and that relationship doesn't leave room for other lovers. He wants their whole heart as he has given them his and God also is righteously angry at sin. So verse 15b says, Otherwise the Lord your God will become angry with you and obliterate you from the face of the earth. This is a fair and measured and just anger. They've always been given a choice all the way back to Eden of whether they will choose the way of life or the way of death. All have deserved death, but God has been generous in his mercy. He also gives warning time and time again about what would happen in the event of a sinful betrayal. The last attribute we are going to talk about today is God's justice. And I'm actually revisiting this attribute with you a different filming day because God's been talking to me a little bit more about how I can have a richer explanation of this with you today. God was just with Egypt. It says in Deuteronomy 6, 21 through 22, Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household. The Lord was just to Egypt for their sinful ways the ways they treated the Israelites. God will also be just to the sinful nations that are currently inhabiting the land as he tells the people to possess the land in Deuteronomy 7. God will also be just to his children as well. The Israelites are not faithful in the land, and so God will exile them to Assyria and to Babylon. It's really easy for us to kind of uh, remain distant at this point, but I think we really need to make it personal. We need to understand that God is just to us as well. He carried out his justice when Jesus took the wrath we deserve on his own shoulders on the cross. He took the judgment we deserve. Here in Jesus, we see the ultimate example of God's justice paired with God's grace. Without Jesus, we would be met with the same deserving wrath as the Egyptians in the summary in Deuteronomy 6. 
It can be uncomfortable at first to think about God's justice, but this too is an aspect of God's nature that's consistent with his love. It is not loving for God to keep sin unchecked. With his children, there is now no condemnation for those who love him. It says so in Romans 8 verse 1. But there is absolutely correction. In Hebrews 12 verse 6, it says, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives which is an echo of Proverbs 3.12, which says, For the Lord reproved him whom he loves, as a father the son in whom he delights. I see this really start to make sense when I think about my motherhood. I have three boys, ages 6, 4, and 2. And this is your cue to say, bless her heart. And I absolutely receive it. Here I begin to understand God's justice paired with God's grace. It is not loving for me to let my two 50-pound each six- and four-year-olds just wallop on their two-year-old brother who is half their size. Why? Because it not only uh, doesn't uh, protect my two-year-old, but it also doesn't teach my older boys a better way, good conflict resolution and protecting their little brother. It also doesn't invite them into a closer relationship with God and with each other. So instead of just dismissing it as, oh, boys will be boys, what we do is we connect with them and correct them. We uh, have them apologize to each other and to God, and then we show them a better way of using their hands. I'm still le learning and growing as a mom, but I'm learning about the love, justice, correction, and grace exemplified from God as evidenced across the entire Bible. All these attributes are true, consistent, and working together in the glorious nature of God. He doesn't leave sin unchecked, and that's the most gracious and loving thing for all of us. That is why we accept the grace of Jesus on the cross and follow his leading as he continues to correct us when we still struggle with sin. When we go through this list of attributes, this causes us to worship and it also causes us humbling. We know the God of Deuteronomy 6 is the same God we are invited into relationship with today. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So much of the law is concerned with right worship of Yahweh. The Israelites are to love God by worshiping him and him alone, and we are called to do the same. So when we start to take a closer look at God, we should be moved to worship and fear. This is a heart-melting process. Have you ever experienced the sensation of heart mush when you think about our amazing God? The Israelites did. I call this sensation an oatmeal heart. This really becomes the consistency of our hearts as we experience his glory and presence and are humbled before him. Let's back up to Deuteronomy 5. God gives the Ten Commandments to Moses face to face on the top of a mountain. 
but he does so in such a loud and intense manner and glorious manner with fire, cloud, and darkness that all the Israelites could hear it, though they were at the bottom of the mountain. They were so aware of God's might and holiness that their hearts were much because they knew their own utter depravity in comparison. They knew they could not stand in God's presence and lived. So they volunteered Moses to do that. They told him in Deuteronomy 5, 27 through 29, go near and hear all that the Lord our God will say and speak to us all the Lord our God will speak to you and we will hear it and do it. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I have heard the words of this people, which they have spoken to you. They are right in all they have spoken. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. So when we read of God's attributes in his word, the Holy Spirit will complete a similar process within us as we experience his voice through scripture. Like the Israelites, we will develop a worshipful awe and fear of the Lord, and we will also experience humbling. This is all work that happens in the heart that will orient us to love God. So when we experience God in this way, we will want to worship him. Why? Because he is clearly worthy. He's awesome. Moses knew this. He did not want to look on the face of the Lord because he didn't want to die. God's character, holy, without fault, was so epically glorious that no one could look upon him and live. The Israelites wanted Moses to go ahead for them because they knew this too. This was the fear of the Lord. And this is a good place to be in. His worthiness leads to worship and also wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Fearing God and knowing Him leads to wisdom. Which brings me to the humbling part. We're also going to be humbled. Why? Because we see our otherness from God and our need for Him. Let's just go back speed, speedily through those attributes of God listed here. No other authority in our life is as good of a leader as he is and worthy of complete obedience. No other person perfectly keeps their promises. Faithfulness is rare in this world, complete faithfulness let alone. No other God is worthy of our worship. No other provider can give not only to our external needs, but our, to our spiritual needs as well. Nobody does anger just right or jealousy just right. In fact, these look pretty ugly on humans. And no other judge is as just as our God. Gospel truth meets us here in this conviction. There is none without sin, not even one. In the biblical story, we see this Adam and Eve's failure, Moses' failure, Israel's failure, all proving our need for Jesus. At the time I'm sharing with you, I just exited a period of quarantine with my husband and our three boys, six and under. My son was exposed to COVID at his school, so we needed to stay home for a period of time before we could go back into the world. Nothing produces sanctification in a person like being stuck in a house with three boys, six and under for days on end. 
Motherhood is the hardest and most humbling job I've ever had. And when I think about you, I wonder what stressful situations you've had over the course of the pandemic that have proved your otherness from God and your need for him. You know what that process does? It helps me to worship. Whoa, what a perfect parent God is. How incredibly fair, how just, how does he keep his self-control when the Cheerios has spelled for the fifth time? I'm not as merciful with my boys as he is with the Israelites, but you know what? This realization causes me to worship God, see how other he is from me and how much I need him. And this humbling puts me in a sweet spot, in a place where I can receive this gospel truth. Jesus was perfect and traded places with me. And I don't have to bear the shame and punishment I deserve, nor do I have to live in that shame any longer. I love Psalm 103, 10 through 12. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Not only can we experience this love, but by the grace of God and by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, we can change. I can change. In my motherhood, I can start to imitate Christ. What situation do you find yourself right now that's stretching you? Let it cause you to worship Christ and embrace the humbling and the ways it is helping us to press in to him. That humbling is but a step in the process as of looking more like Christ as we depend on him. So let's review this process. When we meditate on the awesomeness of our God, it causes us to worship and to fear him. That fear gives us wisdom as we see all the ways we are not like God. The Holy Spirit meets us in that soft-hearted oatmeal place <laughs> and opens our eyes to him. He helps us to change. Let's pray for God to open our eyes to his character and to the humbling beholding him brings. Let's join with all the angels in heaven who continually sing in Revelations 5.12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Why do we love God? We love God because he loved us and made a way for us and because he is worthy. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you today as you gaze upon the glory of the Lord? Which attribute is causing you the most praise today and which one the most humbling? Write these down and share them with your group if you haven't already or another sister in Christ. Praise together that God is worthy and pray that God would change you to be more like him as you follow him and depend on him. As we end this session today, I want to lead you to an example of this in the Bible of David, a guy who messed up pretty severely, yet a man after God's own heart, doing the exact same thing in the Psalms. So turn with me to Psalm 116, where David shares his own humble and worshipful meditation on why he loves the Lord. 
I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. Hear those attributes? The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed, even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all of his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So I think we should follow the example of David and make this personal. I invite you to spend time and write out your own version of Psalm 116, starting the same way that David did. I love the Lord because... Or you can make it even more personal and make it a love letter to God. I love you, Lord, because... Give an opportunity for God to meet you in this humbled state and praise him together with your group for what he has done and who he is. Why do we love God? We love God because he loved us and made a way for us and because he is worthy. Dayton Women in the Word exists to help women read their Bibles. If you have been blessed by our ministry and free resources, would you please consider giving a donation at DaytonWomenInTheWord.com slash donate. Oh, he